chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Revelations chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Um, we're going to be reading there just a few verses. And we'll hit it multiple times and dig into a little bit. Last week we started to this idea of be, of being, right? And we talked about last week, who do you want to be? Who are you going to be in the new year, right? We Many of us set aside some different goals, some different things that we plan to to exceed or to do uh, during this new year. And we, we started out that way, no doubt. And we had an idea, an idea of who we, we want it to be in this new year. Many of us might not have been the greatest example. Uh, uh, succeeded very well last year. We might have had a rough year, but we want the new year. We want to do better. But we talked about how as Christians, our desire should be like Christ. That should be our desire. Not just this year, but every year. Every day that we live, every morning we wake up, our desire should be that we have some kind of impact or influence on somebody's life where they say, man, they're, they're like Christ. There's something Christian. There's something Christ-like about them. And we're interested in that, we talked about. But, you know, interest only takes us so far, but it gets to a point where we, as Christians, we need to invest in it. We need to invest in it. If we want to be like Christ, it takes an investment. It takes a sacrifice. Whether it be, be time or emotional, and anything in life that's worth having takes some level of an investment. If we want to be like Christ, there's an investment that we have to make, right? If we want our church to grow, there's an investment that we have to make. If we want our family to be healthy, you know, when it comes to emotionals and relationships are good, it takes an an investment. If we want people to be be saved, if we want to reach, if we want to invite them and see them come to church. That that takes an an investment. Just with their youth, if we want to see things go well with the youth and them grow and them prosper and great things happen in their lives, it takes a level of investment. It takes investment. Sometimes we we don't we don't want that level of investment. And sometimes a lot of times in issues that we, we we bring before God, it it He asks more of us than we're willing to give sometimes, right? But I'm thankful that that. We invest in these things that God is is wanting to work in. He's wanting to do, but it takes that level of investment. But if we're interested, we need to take it past that interest. We need to be invested in it, working in it, sacrificing for it, doing what God requires of us so that we can see great things happen in God's community, in our church, in this world, right? We're gonna, I told you last week that we're going to talk about three ways, that things that we can be in the new year um, to that really lines us up with who it is that God is, who it is that God wants us to be. We're going to talk about be faithful. Be generous and be forgiving. All right. And this morning we're going to talk about be faithful. To to be faithful. So Revelation chapter two verses one through five is the scripture that we'll read. If you want to turn there, you're more than welcome to. We'll also have it up on the screen. But it reads like this. It says, "To the angel of the church of Ephesus, write these things: Say he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience." And that you cannot bear those who are evil, and, and you have tested those who say they are apostles and not, and have, have found them liars, and you have persevered, and have patience, and have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first verse, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Revelations chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Let's talk about being faithful. What it means to be faithful? Faithful is a is a term that more often than not we hear when we're talking about marriages, right? Relationships. That you're faithful within your relationship. But faithful doesn't just mean mean that, though it's the most common use of it. Faithful just means to be loyal, 
Or to be steadfast in something. That you are, are faithful. Many times we're faithful to certain brands. Some of you will go to one gas station and it doesn't matter if you have to drive 10 miles out of the way and they're charging three or four extra cents. That's the gas you use because all the other gas that messes up your car and your car just can't handle that, you have to have that BP gas or, or Shell gas or whatever. Drop. You're faithful to that to that brand. Some people, they're, iPad, or they're, they're Apple people. They're faithful to iPad, or Apple. Some are faithful to Android. You're faithful to something. You're loyal to it. You're steadfast to it. But if I asked you the question, were you faithful to God last year? What would your, your answer be? Were you faithful to Christ last year? A lot of us might say, well, I think I did pretty good. Right? I definitely probably could have done better, but I, I did okay. I put a good foot forward, and maybe some of us would look around at other people around us and be like, well, I was definitely more faithful than so-and-so over there. And we play that, that comparison game. We we sometimes have like a gradient scale of, of completely unfaithful to completely faithful and say, well, we're somewhere around here, maybe. If, you, if your wife asked you, are you been faithful? And you wouldn't say, I'm somewhere around here, right? You'd be like, I'm faithful, 100%, right? But in church, we do. We say, oh, I'm somewhere around here. Take out the gradient scale, the comparisons and everything, and if you were forced to say, was I faithful to God this year, what would your your answer be? What does being faithful in the new year look like? Right? So we're going to go over some things where we can see, and maybe you'll be able to evaluate and be like, well, maybe I wasn't as faithful as I thought I was last year. But then hopefully we can see how we can be faithful in this coming year. Okay? So it's not just the bad. We often think of unfaithfulness to God that means that we're life is full of evil and sin. Right? We think that we're saying bad things, we're doing bad things, we're watching bad things, we're going bad places. That's what it means to be unfaithful to God. And, and it does, right? And doing that is being unfaithful to God. But that's not the only way... That we can be unfaithful to God. I mean, look, look at this scripture. Okay, look at this scripture once again. So it says to the angel of the church of Ephesus, write these things. Say he said things says he who holds seven stars and his right hand who walks in the midst of the seven gold lamps. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And, and you are you persevered and have patience and have labored uh, for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you that. You have left your first first love. What's what's the issue that God has with this 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 group? They have left their first love. You can even say that his issue isn't an action that they're taking, but an inaction that they are taking. They have left their first love. They've fallen away in, in some way from this love that they they had. For them, Does, he doesn't go through and enlist, and, and, and it happens in many different places. The prophets do this, and and, and Christ does it in different places where he lists certain things that they're doing that's wrong. He'll give them the sins. He'll, Paul goes to different places saying, "Well, you've been doing this. There's sexual immorality. There's there's proselyte. You're, you're doing these things that are wrong. You're doing all these things that are that aren't according to God. You're giving and taking in marriage. You're you're going. You're worshiping other gods. You're you're stealing from the Lord. All these things. Paul would give them a list. God doesn't do that here." He doesn't give them a list of all their sins and all the wrongs they're doing. Quite the opposite. What does he say? He goes through and lists all these good things. I know your works, your labor, your patience. You can't bear evil. You have tested those who are apostles. You found out who are liars. You persevered. You have patience. You've labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. He, instead of listing the bad they've done, what does he do? 
He lists all these good things that they've done. And for me, man, I'm going to be honest. If I just came into this church and I evaluated and we looked through all this, I'd be like, man, they're doing pretty good. I'd give them high marks. I'd say they're succeeding at being a church of God to the church of God. But then he says, nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your first love. God recognizes that it's not just doing bad that makes us unfaithful, but when we stop doing good. It's not just going out and living a riotous and sinful life that makes us unfaithful Christians. It's when we stop doing good. The Bible says in one place, no, to do good and to do it not is what? Sin. To him it is sin. Yeah. And I think that's where we find these people is, is that at some point they were. You can't stop doing something if you hadn't done it at one point. At some point they were doing good. They, they were strongly connected to their first love, whatever that first love was. There came a point where, where that slacked, that stopped, it, it changed. And they stopped doing, doing the good that God had taught them to do, that they, they knew to do. Now, we don't know exactly what they stopped. Scripture doesn't get into the details about that. Ephesians, you know, Paul talks to the Ephesians, and we might be able to garner some, some information on what the church was going through at that time from them. But we don't know what it was that they stopped doing, and we don't know why they stopped doing that. But for a moment, follow with me, and let's think about what if we just took that and put it to today's world. If, it, if this letter was written to today's world, what would it be that we had left? What would it be that we had stopped? What was the good thing that we had, we had stopped doing that God had desired for us to do? Right? I think these are the things that we see most often kind of left on the wayside. Corporate worship and gathering. Right? Being together in the body of Christ. Um, personal and, and familial biblical study. That's, that's getting together with yourself and quiet time getting together with your family. And, 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 and people that you love and studying the Bible. We also see that personal and familial prayer is something that gets oftentimes just gets left on the side. We might say our blessing when we go out and eat or when we eat together or something like that, but, but just really praying together as a family is something that oftentimes just gets gets put to the wayside. Biblical mentorship, multiple places, especially through Paul and then we see in Jesus, it is, ministered, it is showed to us that we should mentor those that are around us in the things of, the, of God and in things of the Bible. We see that, and that's nothing that we just we just don't do as much. And then and then serving, serving is something that we just we just don't do on the level that that really the Bible instructs us instructs us to. Now, now we see these things. And these are things that fall by the side. And we all, you know, none of us do them 100 percent of the time. None of us do them perfectly. Some seasons in our life will do them better than others, but but none of us do these things at the level that God really desires for us to do. It's something that in the modern church we just have. Kind of slapped away from. That's lost in importance. Now follow with me. I, I can imagine. I, I like to imagine. You all being around me. And I like to imagine and kind of dig into these stories. Really look at the people and everything. And I, and I, I, can, I think it's easy to imagine that the church of Ephesus. They read this letter. They get together. And they read what John has, has sent. And they sit down. And, and they're like, man, doesn't, doesn't John know, know what I've got going on in my life right now? Man, I, I wouldn't have stopped, maybe one of them said, man, I wouldn't have stopped doing that, but I, I, man, I've just been so busy lately, and that's just why I've, I've stopped having to do that. Maybe another one says, well, we've got a lot going on during the day, and we get home late, and it's just really hard when we get home so late, you know, to, to really do what we know we should be doing consistently. Yeah. 
it's just it's just hard to hard to do that. Maybe another uh, said we need it some time to just to slow down and to get away from everything. Maybe somebody said, well, if John didn't spend all of his days at the Isle of Patmos down there by the sea sunbathing, then maybe he would understand what it means to have a real life. Now, if you don't understand what the Isle of Patmos was, you wouldn't understand why that's funny. But that's pretty funny, right there. Okay. Um, but they had these ideas, these reasons, no doubt, for why they left their first love. We all do. Why they leave their, their first love. And I get it, man. I'm I'm right there with you. In a couple of months, we're going to go on vacation, right? We've got a little one, and life is crazy, life is busy, and it's only going to get busier as he gets older, right? And things continue to change. I get it. Life is crazy. It's busy, okay? But if life is so busy that we consistently remove God from the equation, then something else needs to change in your life. Not God. When it comes time of the picking and the choosing, the God part isn't the part that should be left aside and be put away, that we walk away from, that we forget, or that we ignore. It should be the part that we prioritize. That's right. If you just have to get away all the time, there comes an eventuality where the only thing you're getting away from is you're getting away from God. If we get away constantly. And I'm not saying there's not supposed to be exceptionalities. I understand that. Sickness, death, family issues, emergencies, that stuff happens. But the thing is, exceptionalities has the word exception in it. That means it's supposed to be the exception, not the norm. And I think too often or not, our exceptionalities have become the norm for our life. And for you, is it it normal to be unfaithful to the things of God? Has it just become normal to you? Maybe it started out as an exception, right? It started out as something that just happened once. You just missed one service. You just didn't read one day. You just didn't pray one day. You just your your kids are. It was a late night, and you just stopped. You didn't get together as a family to pray and to have time with God. One day, then it's two days, and it begins that exception. Then once very easily becomes the the norm, and that's the danger. That, that, that's that's the scary thing that that happens a lot of times in a, in the thing doing the things of God that He desires for us to do is that it's very easy for it to become. Get worse than we expected it to. Well, let's talk about the return. All right. I understand that according to our doctrine, and once we have accepted the wonderful gift of, of Christ, that we don't have to fear for that. We are assured of that. That 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 is within us, right? Nothing can steal that from us. But in our life, I don't want us to get that confused with thinking that our decisions and our actions or our inactions don't have consequences in our world that we live in, in our lives today, right? Because they do. Because a lot of times what we see is when Christians become unfaithful to the things of God, that there's a distance that begins to grow from who God wants them to be and who they really are. There's a thing called degrees, right? It's talked about circles and triangles and everything, right? And the degrees is just one little tick, right? One degree is just a tick. And it doesn't make a big difference right here. If you change and turn your body just this way, it's not a big difference, right? Barry can even see that. You can just see my belly move a little bit, right? Just judge what it is. But if I walk 100 miles that way on my main course, and then I take that little degree and I walk 100 miles that way, what was just a small change here, by the end of my journey has become a major change where I could end up in a different county, in a different country, different time zone, just because of that small degree of change that I allowed to happen at some point in my life that got me off course. And I end up in a place where I wasn't supposed to be, where God didn't want me to be, and I'm then far from God. 
I'm far from his presence, far from his will, far from where he desires for me to be. Now, why, why does that matter? Because we are promised certain things with our relationship with God, right? The Bible tells us we have peace, that we have joy, comfort when we experience hardship, fellowship with God, fellowship with our, our fellow Christians. But, but the farther I get from God, the more unfaithful I am to God the less I experience those rewards that come from Him. We get to a place where it's hard to feel that joy because that joy comes from being close to God. We get to a place where it's hard to feel that peace because that peace comes from being close to God. It's hard to be comforted when we're going through hard times because that comfort comes from being close to God. The fellowship comes from being close to God. So when we are far from Him, then those things aren't aren't present in our lives. And there's many Christians that are that are that are, are just in you know, awful states of mind and awful places in their life. You know, not not just you know going through things, but like they don't feel peace, they don't feel comfort because they are far from God. They're in a bad place. They've they've strayed, they've drifted, they've grown cold. Use whatever terminology you want to use, but they're not where God desires for them to be. And we need to recognize that. Another consequence that we we don't might not think about is is that the example that we set affects how our children and how the lost view a relationship with God. Right? It affects how how they they see them. Let me get personal for a second. Ever since I've had a child, and even more so since Harper's begin to imitate us, I, I've tried to to recognize areas in my life that I do things that I wouldn't want Harper to do. Not necessarily bad things, but just things that are unflattering, right? Things that, that aren't the best for her in life. Uh, for example, you know, maybe it's me saying no to Tara um, when she asks me to do something that's simple that I could easily do that makes her day easier, but I just say no because right, I don't want to or I'm just not feeling it for whatever reason, right? Something I don't want to set an example for her to do. Um, maybe it is, you know, getting a little bit more frustrated than I should with just something simple goes wrong, right? And I just get I just get a little more frustrated, a little more heated than, than necessary, right? Maybe it's procrastinating, you know, and I don't want her to think put everything off. The last, but, you know, and I don't want that to be the example I set for her. And we as parents, we, we put a great priority as making sure that our children have a good representation to, to follow. We want to assure that our children replicate the best parts of us. But how many times do we work hard to make sure they know what it looks like to, to have a faithful spouse, have a faithful marriage, um, to have a faithful, be a faithful employee or a worker or a faithful leader, you know, if you if you're in a lead position in your job, um, to be a, a a faithful, you know, parent, to be a, a faithful this that and the other thing, whatever it may be, and we we make sure that we they see this is what it looks like to be faithful in these areas, but then we fail to show them what it means to be a faithful Christian. Be a faithful follower of Christ. We prioritize every other area of life to make sure they know this is what you should do. This is how you should live. This is what you should act like. This is what you should do in school, when you go to work, when you get married, when you have friends, in every other situation. But we fail to show them how to be a faithful Christian. And think, well, that's the thing that they can figure out on their own. Or we say, well, the preacher's supposed to teach them that. Or the Holy Spirit will just show them that when they get older. No, no, no. Raise up a child in the way it should go. Right. And it's not soon to part from him. 
But when we live a life that is unfaithful to God, don't think that it's not going to affect the way they view the relationship with God. Because it assuredly will. Man, everything you do, those little ones replicate. We know that, right? It's crazy. They learn everything they're not supposed to. But, you know, we know that. That's not a surprise. So we, we, as Christians, if you're a parent, if you're a grandparent, if you're an aunt or uncle, if you just have kids that are around you, whatever it may be, we as Christians must recognize that and be sure that we give them the example to replicate. But if we are living unfaithful lives as Christians, then guess what? We're going to have kids that live un, unfaithful lives as Christians. Now, we like the we, we, we'll say a lot of times... The world just offers so many other options for the young people. And they do. I get that. We live in a world where there's things out there that weren't there ten years ago, weren't there five years ago. Options that I never would have dreamed of having. Kids have options. Get around, right? But but that saying is very easy for us to say because it takes responsibility out of our hands. Because we can say, well, it's the world's fault. It's Satan's fault. But we must take the responsibility and recognize that sometimes, yeah, the world's going to pull them. But man, was the life that you live in a life they wanted to replicate in the first place? Was it a life worth modeling in the first place? If we're honest, how much different is their life right now than the life that you're living? And we got to be honest about those things. Because maybe, instead of teaching them that what God had to offer was greater than what the world was, Maybe the decisions we were making and being unfaithful in certain things was teaching them all along that what the world had to offer was better. And that's that's not fun to hear, right? It's not fun to hear that that our decisions are in action when it comes to the things of God and modeling and replicating it for our children, for those that are lost in the world. It affects their eternal salvation. It's not supposed to be fun to hear. And that should move and shake each of us and how we interact and live our life and, and live our life with Christ. It should challenge us to be more faithful. It should challenge us, like we talked about last week, to be more like like Christ. And and I want my child, and I pray that your children look at their parents and look at the people in the church and look at those that are around and see people that are faithfully living a life that God desires them to live. That are living the life that does the things that God asks them to. They're seeing the Bible read in their home. They're seeing prayer prioritized in home. They're seeing their parents pour into other people and other people pour into their parents. That they're seeing their family serving. That they're seeing their family going to church and and prioritizing it and not just doing anything else because they just want to. That they see these things because then that's what they're going to do. They're more likely to do that but we don't see that in our communities. We don't see that in our families. We don't. The young people don't see that. You go to school, you talk to them, you go through. A lot of them, they don't know what. They don't go to church regularly because their parents don't go to church regularly. It's a blessing that we have the D19 youth program that we do because a lot of their parents, we don't see them on Sunday because of other things that are going on in their life, other things that are prioritizing. But I'm glad that we get to see them. But that's an abnormality. That doesn't happen very often. And it might not happen 10, 15 years from now, 20 years from now. As the, as the world changes and moves, you know, you move to some other place. You might not have that option. So let us be the example for them. To not just count on the pastor or the deacon or somebody else or the Holy Spirit to do everything. You, we, have to be that example. And if we're not, 
then it has an effect, an eternal effect on our, our children, on our families, on those that are lost in the world as well. If they see us being unfaithful, then they think, well, that I can be unfaithful as well. It's not as important for me to follow as well. And you might be thinking, you know, it doesn't make, this doesn't make me feel good. I come to church to, to be made to feel good, to be encouraged and whatnot. Sometimes it's not, it's, it's not meant for that, man. If we're constantly just feeling good and, and, and leaving here feeling like there's nothing needs to change, then we're not going to change. But there's times where we must address ourselves. And we must look at the Scripture, we must look at what it has told us, and we must recognize that there's changes that need to, to be made. And we're more likely to make a change at the first of the year than we are any other time of the year. Just because of the way that we're, we're raised, the things that we're around, and how we, first of the year, we're already in the mindset, what are we going to change? So let's change it. But changing it's not easy, it's not fun, it's not enjoyable a lot of times. But when it comes to things of God, it's, it's what we need to do is to change, to be more faithful. Not to be somewhere on the gradient scale, but to be faithful. In this scripture, once again, what are they commanded? They're commanded to remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works. Remember. What's he saying? What do you want to remember? Remember your first love. Remember how you lived before. Remember what you did before. You've grown unfaithful for it. You tried. You started. You wanted to set a new example. You wanted to do better. You used to read more. You used to pray more. You used to be in church more. You used to serve more. You used to talk to people about God more. But you've fallen from that. Remember that. Remember that. Repent. What's he saying by repent? Repent just means to turn. To return. He's saying, remember what you did before. The good that you did, that I instilled in you, that I taught you. And the busyness of life and the chaos and the craziness and all the things that were going on. That your priorities changed, your family changed, your life changed, and you got away from it. Remember that and return to it. Remember the good that I instilled in you, the good that I taught you, the good that I showed you, the good that you did not that you're living a heathen life. It's not that you're living a life full of awful things that you're doing. But when we stop doing good, it's just as bad for our personal well-being with God, for the family's well-being with God, for the community that is watching us. When we stop doing good, it's just as bad as if we were doing the sin that we once were. There's a saying, if you're not going forward, what? You're going if we're not doing what God has told us to do faithfully, then it's the same as just living a life of sin. Because it has the same effect on those that watch us. I'll be honest with you. The enemy would rather you proclaim to be a Christian and live halfway like a Christian and your kids see that than him to see you live a life full of sin. Because they might want to get out of that lifestyle. They might want to get out of a drug home. They might want to get out of an abusive home. They might want to get out of those places. If they've got a family that's pretty good most of the time, goes to church part of the time, does good things part of the time, then they can grow up their whole life and do that and still never know who God is. The enemy would rather have you in that place than in a deep, dark, sinful place. Because it's more dangerous for those around you, the family that you're praying for, the kids that you're praying for, the world that you're praying for, and they see your example. They're like, what are they really? What are they being, really? But let us get back to what God has taught us, 
to what God has instilled in us, the good that we once did, the good that He has showed us to do, the good that we see done in Scripture, get back to that. Be faithful to that. And do what God has desired for us to do. Like I said, it, I didn't come into this this morning saying, well, I'm going to make everybody feel good and happy. Quite the opposite. I was like, man, I, I hope we leave challenged. I hope we leave feeling like, man, I can do a whole lot better. I hope we leave thinking, man, I've got a, I've got a ways to go. Because that's the reality. We have a ways to go. We have things that we can do, things that we can change to be faithful, to be loyal, to be steadfast, to be consistent. That's what he's telling you. He's saying you were great at one point. And you still have a lot of good things going on. You might be a good person in a lot of ways. You might do some of those things and not do some completely. You might do other good things, but you might not be doing these things. He said, you're doing a lot of good things. There's something. There's something there. And you might not recognize the harm that it's doing. And you might not recognize the problems that it's causing. And you might not recognize how it's affecting yourself and your family and your neighbors. But it is. So I'm going to point it out. And I'm going to let you know. So that you recognize it. And that you change it. And that's what we're here for today. Saying you're a good bunch of people. Right? I don't have any bad thing to say about any one of you good bunch of people. you got a lot of good things on your list. But he says there's something. There's something. Probably in each one of our lives. There's something. An issue that you don't know the harm and the effect that's going to have on your life. Maybe 10 years down the road, your family, once they grow up and they're teenagers, they're adults. You might not know the effect they'll have then. And if it wasn't going to be an effect, I wouldn't tell you. But there's something going on that you don't see. So I have this against you. I have this against you. Remember and return. Turn back to who it is that God desires you to be. God's asking you to be. You may have drifted. You may have fallen off a little bit. You may have grown a little cold. You didn't mean to. That one degree of change that a few years ago you stopped doing what God wanted you to do. And here you are ten years later and like, oh, wow, man. Look how far I've, I've drifted. But recognize how far you've drifted. Recognize how cold you've got. How far you've grown from God. Salvation's still intact. But the relationship's not where it needs to be. And that can have effects far beyond what we could ever dream. Right? And I pray that this is this is this has challenged you. It shook you. I, that's what I prayed this morning. When I prayed. I said, Lord, let them be shook, because we need to be shook, right? Amen. The status the status quo usually doesn't change anything. Usually doesn't have any kind of radical effect. Sometimes we need to be shook, so that we can help other people be shook and recognize that there's something that needs to change in their lives. Amen. So I pray that you've been been challenged this morning. That you've recognized an area in your life that you've not been faithful. So once again, the question we started with, were you faithful to Christ last year? Not on the gradient scale. Yes or no? Answer you'd give your spouse. Were you faithful to Christ last year? I wasn't. I wasn't the, the faithful person I needed. I wasn't the faithful pastor, the faithful you know, leader in my home, the faithful leader to, to other people that, that I need to be. We're on the gradient scale. I might say something different, but just yes and no, I wasn't. And I pray that you ask yourself that. If you were, I, I rejoice. And I'm thankful. And that's great. But if you weren't, I challenge you, come to the altar and pray with me this morning.
right? Let's pray that this year that we are faithful. That we will be faithful. The things that we start in January, that we're going to read the Bible, that we're going to pray as a family, that we're going to come to church more consistently, that we're going to serve God. The things that we start now, I pray that we are faithful to them this year and next year. And for the rest of our lives, so that our children and our grandchildren, our nieces and our nephews, our cousins, the ones out in the community that need to see it, the ones in D19 Youth that need to see it, will see that and recognize it, and they will follow suit. That they will be faithful. But if you ask yourself the question, was I faithful to Christ last year? And like me, your answer is no. I encourage you, I challenge you, come pray with me this morning. That we can be the faithful church, the faithful body of Christ that He has invited us to be. That he has desired for us to be. Amen. Kenny, if you'll play a song, altar's open, whatever. If you've been challenged by the sermon, you can come pray. If you're lost, don't know Christ, you can come and pray. If there's a need that you have and you want to pray, you can come and pray. Whatever it is that's going on in your life, you can come and pray. Uh, but I, I want to pray this morning so that I can be more faithful, uh, that I can be the man that God desires for me to be at a, in a, at a greater level than maybe I think that I already am. I can be better. I knew better. Amen.